Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. I'm John Donvan, and this is Intelligence Squared US. This special episode marks the premiere of our new global television series, That's Debatable, which we are presenting in partnership with Bloomberg Media and sponsored by IBM. So, let's get to it. Some statistics come as a jolt, and one of those is the headline number about wealth inequality, that of the world's wealth, 44% is owned by the richest 1% alone. And it didn't used to balance out that way. Wealth was more spread out. The trend in our lifetimes has been and continues to be more wealth in fewer hands. And is that a trend that merits disruption? Can we pinpoint what the harms are? Can those harms be addressed without unintended consequences? Well, in these questions, we thought we had the makings of a debate, so we had it. In front of a live virtual audience, we brought together four experts, two teams of two, who have spent decades thinking about these issues. They argued for and against the resolution, it's time to redistribute the wealth. This debate was recorded on October 9th, and it went in three rounds, and then our live audience voted to decide the winner, but you can still weigh in. The vote is still open online at our website, iq2us.org forward slash vote. All right, let's meet our debaters. First, I want to welcome the team arguing in favor of the resolution. It's time to redistribute the wealth. Robert Reich and Yanis Varoufakis, welcome to both of you. Robert, you were Secretary of Labor under President Clinton. Your most recent book is called The System, Who Rigged It? How to Fix It? You've, you've debated with us before. Welcome back to Intelligence Squared. And where are you joining us from? I'm here in Berkeley, California, where I can actually see blue sky for the first time in three weeks John, it's been really a terrible, terrible experience for people on the West Coast. All of the burning and fires, uh, and uh, it really does have some bearing on what we're going to talk about, believe it or not. All right, well, thank goodness for a breath of fresh air. It's uh, great to have you back on the program. And your partner I want to welcome is Yanis Varoufakis. Yanis, you are the former finance minister of Greece. You are a philosopher. You are an economist. Great to have you in the debate. And the same question to you, where are you joining us from right now? A tiny island off the coast of Attica on top of a hill. Um, the, the sky is black, but thankfully not because of any forest <laughs> fires, only because it's the middle of the night. <laughs> That's the good news. So we, we really, really appreciate your staying up so late to do this with us. Thank you to the team arguing for the resolution. It's time to redistribute the wealth. And of course, we have two debaters who will be arguing against that resolution. And let's welcome them. First, I want to say hello to Alison Schrager. Alison, you are an economist. You are an author. You're a senior fellow at the Manhattan Institute where you study tax and monetary policy. I've seen you many times uh, back in the era when we had debates in uh, halls with 
audiences and hundreds of people I, that you are often sitting in the front row as a fan of Intelligence Squared. It's great to have you on the stage. Uh, and where are you joining us from? I'm actually in your offices right now in New York. <laughs> I didn't realize that arrangement had been made, but I hope that that's a convenience for you. It, it is. My, yeah, my apartment's too small for, uh, you know, for the video setup, so here I am. <laughs> All right. Thanks so much for joining us. And I want to introduce your partner, Larry Summers. Larry, you also served in the Clinton administration as Treasury Secretary. Uh, you've also been chief economist for the World Bank and director of the National Economic uh, Council. So welcome to you, uh, Larry Summers. It's an honor to have you here. And uh, where are you joining us from? Truro, Massachusetts on Cape Cod. Lucky. All right. I hope it's a little bit of vacation for you. Let's move on to round one. Round one are opening statements from each debater in turn, one after the other. Once again, the resolution is it's time to redistribute the wealth. Speaking first for the resolution, Robert Rice. Robert, the screen is all yours. Well, thank you very, very much, John. And thank all of you for tuning in and everybody who made this possible. Let me just begin with something that is probably the largest and most important structural change in the economy, particularly in the United States over the past 45 years. And that is a shift in wealth from the middle class to the people at the top. Uh, and, uh, you know, there are disputes about how you measure it, obviously, but almost everybody who has looked at this seriously has seen a tremendous shift. Probably the best study that I have seen shows that uh, in the late 1970s, uh, the top one-tenth of one percent by income had about seven uh, percent of the total wealth. But now that top one-tenth of a percent has about well, close to 20% of the total wealth. That, that means that the top one-tenth, the richest one-tenth of Americans, has almost as much wealth as the bottom 90% put together. I mean, four Americans, by wealth, the four richest Americans have more wealth than the bottom half of America put together. A recent study also shows that if we had the same degree of inequality, we had in the first three decades after the end of the Second World War, today the middle class would be $50 trillion richer because most of the gains from economic growth since that time went to the very top. Now that alone is not enough of an argument for why it's time to redistribute the wealth. What we need to understand is that, and many of you already know this, this country cannot afford to do many of the things it needs to do. Our infrastructure is crumbling. It is falling apart. Many of our schools, our public schools in working class and poor areas are overcrowded. The classrooms have 30 to 40 kids. Teachers are underpaid. The facilities are bad. We also know that there is a dearth of basic research and development in this country. People uh, are concerned about American competitiveness, but we are not doing much about it in terms of basic R&D. And healthcare. We know there are huge numbers of people who are not able to afford health insurance, millions of Americans. Uh, during this period of coronavirus, it is all worse because we have something in the order of 35 million Americans who are out of work. Many of them, many of them are trying to decide between paying the rent and putting food on the table. We have an extraordinary number of children who are at this moment either homeless or hungry or both. Now, where is that money going to come from? 
It turns out that the typical American pays about 25 to 30 percent of his or her income in taxes right now. If you include sales taxes and property taxes, every tax, about 25 to 30 percent. But if you're a billionaire today, you're actually paying 23 percent on average. In other words, the richer you are, if you're very much at the very, very top, you are paying a lower tax rate. That's not only unfair, but at a time when so many people are so desperate and so many people are struggling so hard, it is unwarranted. It's a bad policy. Let me just add one other very important fact here and just quote Justice Brandeis to say, we have a choice in this country. And that choice is either great wealth in the hands of a few or a democracy. We can't have both because money at the top turns into political power. And we can get into all of this later on. And we will get into all of that later on. Uh, our next debater will be arguing against the resolution that it's time to redistribute the wealth. Alison Schrager, the screen is yours. So this debate is not about whether or not inequality is bad, whether or not it's fair, or whether or not we have too much of it. Reasonable people can disagree on all of those questions because really they come down to your values. In fact, my debate partner and I have different ideas about how much inequality our society should tolerate. But no matter how you feel about inequality, redistributing wealth is not the way to fix it. Because the proposition is, is it time to redistribute wealth? And wealth redistribution means one thing, taxing wealth. Because taxation is the most direct tool to take wealth from rich people and give it to someone else. Now, a wealth tax might not sound that different from the other sorts of taxes you're used to paying, taxes on income, taxes on consumption. But the economic impact is incredibly different. And my debate partner will explain to you why it's bad economics. But keep in mind, he is being incredibly generous about the viability of a wealth tax. Because, as you know, taxing income is pretty straightforward. It happens every year. You're paid an objective amount, and the IRS is really good at getting that data. But wealth is different because often its value is not so objective. I mean, how do you put a value on a family-owned hardware store or a priceless work of art? And much of the wealth in this country, particularly the wealth of the richest people, doesn't have an objective value. In fact, one estimate says the richest Americans, more than half their wealth, is not sold in the market, so it has no objective value. Remember that when you are going to hear and you have already heard these shocking statistics about increased wealth concentration, how much wealth the rich, richest people have. So the fact is, we really don't know that. These are really sort of wild estimates, often based on some very dubious assumptions. In fact, the numbers you just heard cited by our opponent might be off more than a factor of four. And the reason why we know so little is most of the richest Americans made their money starting their own companies, which they held closely and managed as they grew rich. If you look at the Forbes 400 richest Americans, eight of the 10 top richest Americans all got rich starting their own companies. And two thirds of the full 400 are self-made entrepreneurs. And unlike stock or a publicly held company, it's only hard to put a value on a privately held company. It's also really hard to sell. And most rich people are much richer on paper and don't have a lot of liquid wealth to pay the tax, which means paying it will force them to sell their company sooner, usually to private equity funds who will have a say in management and be a lot more short-term focused. 
Now, other countries have grappled with this when they had wealth taxes, and the way around it was maybe limiting the wealth tax based on how much income or financial assets they had. But this just created tons of loopholes, which allowed them to get around paying the tax. In fact, lack of compliance is why so few countries tax wealth. In 1990, 12 countries, European countries, tax wealth. Not only four do, and it, the tax rates are very low and make up a really trivial amount of their total tax revenue. Switzerland probably collects the most in wealth taxes, and it's only three percent of their total tax revenue. A wealth tax, also because it's so hard to value, creates an incentive to keep a company private for longer and not do that IPO. That could mean possibly the next Amazon won't be sold in public markets, which in some ways worsens inequality, because it means the average American doesn't have access to own our best, fast-growing companies. So even if you think we should need to tax rich people more, or even if you don't, and you just think we need more revenue to pay for all of the services we want, or just pay off our debts, and you think it's better to tax rich people than lower-income people, redistributing wealth or a wealth tax is a terrible way to do it. We have much better options, which is why you should vote no to the proposition. You're listening to Intelligence Squared U.S. More opening statements when we return. Next up on the screen, making his opening statement in support of the resolution coming in from an island off of Athens, Yanis Varoufakis. The question that we want to answer today is whether wealth must be redistributed, not the means by which. The wealth tax is just one way and not the most efficient way. Look, you were referring to wealth creation as if we live in a front porch community where you know, wealth is distributed in proportion to the entrepreneurship you know, of the neighborhood baker, butcher and brewer. That's not the world we live in. Take Jeff Bezos. He's a smart man, he innovated, he, you know, he, he got a lot of money, good on him, good on him. But which part of his 200 billion is due to his entrepreneurship? And which part of it is due to the simple fact that his wealth breeds more wealth? The ultra-wealthy grow rich in their sleep. It's got nothing to do with uh, hard work, with risk-taking or economizing, while millions, billions, are not so much left behind, but they are held behind. Wealth concentration and the power of the big business, they conspire to cause stagnation for the majority. Uber market power enables corporations to usurp markets, to buy justice, to capture regulators, to you know, uh, pad political campaigns, in short, to poison our liberal democracies. In uh, 1901, Theodore Roosevelt famously broke up Standard Oil uh, you know, against the background of a huge cacophony <laughs> of those screaming blue murder about the attack on innovation and entrepreneurship and so on. However, those democratic acts of redistributing power and wealth together eventually ushered in capitalism's finest hour. Now, sadly, since the end of Bretton Woods, uh, we have allowed cartels to dominate Again, we have BlackRock, Vanguard, and State Street owning 90% of the publicly listed companies on the New York Stock Exchange. And we have higher prices, less innovation, stagnant wages. When you combine this with uh, what happened after Wall Street imploded in 2008 and central banks pumped rivers of money into the system, those gargantuan cartels transformed what used to be known as capitalism into a kind of 
techno-feudalism, which has decoupled in the last 10, 12 years uh, the world of money from the real capitalist economy. And we can see this especially now with the pandemic. And instead of investing the Fed's cash into good quality jobs and uh, the green technologies we need, what are they doing? They are buying back their own shares. And through pushing through the stratosphere share prices, they're amassing even more progress and democracy destroying uh, wealth. We face a stark option. Let the ultra-rich continue to snuff out society's potential by constantly redistributing wealth from the producers to themselves or alter the direction of distribution from the ultra-rich to society's innovators and maintainers. The added bonus being a chance for democracy to breathe again. Thank you, Yanis Varoufakis. Our final opening statement against the resolution comes from Larry Summers. Larry, the screen is yours. Thank you very much, and it's a pleasure to be here and to have a chance to continue the debates that Bob Reich and I used to have in front of Bill Clinton. Let's be clear at the outset. I loathe the degree of inequality that exists in the United States today. I think that political money has far too much influence. I think the lack of opportunity for a large number of the children who are born in the United States is scandalous and immoral. That's not what we are debating. We are debating whether an approach based on a politics of envy that starts by putting the central problem as being tearing down the people who are most successful is the right approach, or instead a politics of inclusion bubbling up to support prosperity is the right way forward. That's the approach that I favor. There are problems with any approach that starts from going directly at the objective of tearing down wealth. Some of it is that it's a pretty slippery slope. Giannis, in his recent writing, has said that we ought to abolish the stock market. He suggested we should end capitalism itself. The wealth tax. There's a reason that liberal societies like Sweden eliminated it. Turns out not really to work. You turn out not to be able to raise very much revenue for the same kind of reason that we try to have an estate tax in the United States, and it's not able to raise a very large amount of money either. These kinds of approaches are symbolic. They're not effective. There's a practical tax reform uh, agenda. It raises the capital gains uh, tax rate. It ensures that everybody complies with the income tax. It eliminates a range of tax shelters. It can raise $4 trillion, far more than any reasonable estimate that any reputable economist supports for uh, the wealth tax and can do it without arguing that there are people who need to be torn down. Here's what will happen if you actually try to say that people's wealth has to go away. They'll give their money to so-called charities. Those charities will intervene in all the political process that way. And if you don't like the Koch brothers and what they do to American politics right now, you will have far more of it if you tell them that they can't keep their wealth and they can give it to whatever they want and they'll give it to something that will do much more to subvert the process. So the most important thing that I've learned is that it's not enough to care. You have to count carefully and rigorously if you want to make the world a better place. 
and framing the problem in terms of tearing down the most successful people isn't the way to fix those schools. It isn't the way to clean the air. It isn't the way to repair a decaying infrastructure. Building from the middle class without a politics of envy is the way. Thank you, Larry Summers. And that concludes the first round of this debate. And now we move on to round two. And that's where the debaters take questions from me and also from you in our audience. The resolution is this. It is time to redistribute the wealth. We have heard Robert Reich and uh, Yanis Varoufakis argue that the wealth inequality that all four debaters are saying is a real thing. Uh, the side arguing for is saying that it is destructive to democracy. It's damaging democracy and even destroying it. That it is also, the point was made, a perversion of capitalism and that capitalism has become a kind of techno-feudal Wealth brings in more wealth. It's a dynamic that's difficult to stop. And also they make a sort of Willie Sutton argument that at a time when we need the money for things like infrastructure, for basic R&D, for health care, the wealthy is where the money is. And so a redistribution makes sense. The uh, team arguing against the resolution, Larry Summers and Alison Schrager, are saying, first of all, the wealth tax, which uh, they point out is the most often cited tool to bring about this kind of redistribution, uh, would not makes sense, that it's very difficult to value wealth, and in a sense also that it would backfire. And while Larry Summers in particular uh, made it clear that he loathes the inequality that is represented by the concentration of wealth, he talked about a politics of envy being a destructive thing in itself, that it results in tearing down the people who are most successful. So there's a lot there that I would like to dig into, and I want to go back to Robert Reich to start. I want to bring to you this question of the politics of envy. Is your argument that imbalance in and of itself is the thing that's destructive to democracy, or is it the particular kind of imbalance we have now? So, for example, if there were 2,000 multi-billionaires in the United States, but everybody else, through some miracle, had wealth, uh, say, in the three to $400,000 range, so there would be a huge imbalance, but everybody else was well off, would that be problematic for you on the face of it just because there would be an imbalance? Or are you talking about a situation in which that kind of wealth actually distorts, uh, distorts society and makes it impossible for those who are less well off to get launched in life? Uh, well, let me make the argument very, very clear. This is not about the politics of envy. This is about a concern about the relationship between wealth and power. Wealth translates into power. It's not only campaign contributions and lobbying. It's also huge amounts of money into public relations campaigns, into hiring squadrons, platoons of lawyers who can appeal and contest regulatory proceedings under the radar. It's all sorts of ways in which big money, even paying off professors uh, to testify for the things that the wealthy want, all of these ways in which you get a kind of vicious cycle of wealth creating political change that alters the market to reward wealth that generates more wealth and therefore more political change in the direction of wealth. That's what we've seen over the last 50 years. That's why so many people think that the game is rigged against them. Let me take that to Alison Schrager then. So your opponent is saying that the problem is the power that accrues to the super wealthy, that they have power to feather their nest, keep it feathered, basically 
make it, you know, screw everybody else, and that that's persistent. I, he didn't go on to say it can go down generation to generation, but it's the way that the wealthy will conduct and use their wealth that, re, that calls for some kind of rebalancing. What's your take on that? Well, I mean, do we feel that way about how Bill Gates is spending his money trying to cure COVID, trying to cure diseases in Africa? And besides, I mean, I'm not going to uh, sort of deny that certainly wealthy use their money to gain power, but a lot of that is happening at the corporate level. And I think we're talking about individual wealth, not corporate wealth. So, I mean, these are as well two different things. So it's not entirely clear to me, you know, what wealth he's even talking about. And as I said, I think it's really hard to sort of say that all wealthy use their money for bad. I mean, certainly some use it for political reasons we don't agree with. But, you know, that's a different issue. And besides, if we want to address this problem, we should address it directly. As Larry's pointed out, there's ways we can address, you know, problems with campaigns, giving all this sort of political influence. We don't have to redistribute wealth to do it. Let's just solve the problem directly. Let me take that to Yanni. So I think what Allison is saying, you know, you could you could attempt to pass laws that would make it more difficult for the wealthy to use their money that way. I, I know that recent history, things have moved in the other direction, at least in the United States. But take on Allison's point that the kinds of problems that your team has been talking about so far could be addressed other ways than having to take money away from rich people. Well, I have to say that I'm surprised that uh, both Larry and Allison are engaging in a debate about the merits of a wealth tax. For the benefit of pushing this debate forward, allow me to, to grant them that the wealth tax is not a great idea. We're not debating on the, on the merits of a wealth tax. We're debating a simple proposition and a resolution that this is the time to redistribute the wealth. I'm far more concerned about corporate wealth, the accumulation of gargantuan power in the hands of very few corporations that distort markets, usurp markets, push real investment down, leading to what Larry Summers has uh, described quite aptly as secular stagnation. In order to get out of this, we're not going to get out of this through tweaking income tax, but we need to have a shift in the distribution of ownership of um, wealth, of shares, of control over corporations. We need to break up monopolies. This is all about redistributing power and wealth. I don't think Larry has made the argument that this is a debate solely about the wealth tax because he has talked about the impact on on innovators of of taking away the rewards of their their work and the wrong people are being punished. So I think we can, you know, take it to uh, cover both in this conversation. I want to take that to you, Larry. Yanis did not use the word uh, socialism, but he, he is talking about a major reorganization of the way things are done uh, in, uh, in the capitalist part of the world in terms of wealth distribution as a way to address this issue and inequality. So can you respond to that? I'm not sure exactly what Yanis has in mind. He's written that we should end capitalism itself and that there shouldn't be any market where shares and companies could be traded. I think that's a strategy that will lead to massive declines in everybody's income, and that that's hardly the way to benefit the middle class. We should pursue a set of policies that would reduce the influence of money in politics. As I look, it's mostly corporations that do damage. It's mostly large uh, coalitions the sugar producers, 
the trade association representing 7,000 uh, banks in the United States, the million realtors that keep prices high. We got to do something about those kinds of exploitations with political money. But a wealth tax isn't going to do that. Bob knows, actually, because he's been around all of this as much as I have, that you can be an enormous player around a political party if you contribute $6 million. There's no wealth tax we're talking about that's going to go anywhere near making Jeff Bezos or who's ever number 400 on the Forbes 400 unable to be a big player in money and politics. You're just not going to go at it in an effective way by trying to take their money away. You can go at it by trying to insulate the system from the effects of money with all kinds of rules about transparency and all kinds of rules about where the donations can go. And so the question is whether the center of your strategy is trying to tear down the people who have been uh, most successful or whether the strategy is to allow people to be successful, to protect the system from being subverted, and to pick everybody else up. You posed it uh, very well. Is the problem that some people have billions, or is the problem that most people don't have hundreds of thousands? I want to suggest as gently as I can that my very, very esteemed opponents are putting on the table a bunch of red herrings. Uh, In fact, uh, probably the best way of generating revenue, not just in terms of protecting democracy, but also generating revenue for all the other things we need to do, would be higher levies on capital gains and eliminating the stepped-up basis used to calculate capital gains at death, broadening the estate tax base, closing loopholes and shelters disproportionately used by the wealthy, such as carried interest. And I could go through a long list. The point is that all of these require that you accept the notion that now is the time to redistribute wealth. That is what all of these notions are about. In fact, Larry Summers, I want to congratulate you because everything I just listed, you put into a paper published recently about what policies are appropriate. And I want to agree with you publicly. These are all good ideas. But tell me that these are not about redistributing wealth. Of course they are about redistributing wealth. That's what they do. They don't vilify the wealthy. This is not about tearing anybody down. This is about generating revenue and also indirectly, and we can talk more about it, about protecting the democratic process. Alison Schrager, you, you have made an, uh, an attack on the wealth tax, and we're not solely talking about the wealth tax, but, but your opponent, Robert, in his opening said, again, we need the money, the money's there, the, you know, that all of society could be uh, lifted through investment in infrastructure, uh, basic R&D, et cetera. That's where the money is. My question to you is, let's take the wealth tax out of it. Can that money be found in the pockets of the wealthy and brought constructively into the broader society and used that way without consequences, without negative consequences? 
Well, it depends how you do it. I mean, I definitely uh, agree with right here that, you know, the best way to reform taxes is to remove distortions, broaden the base. No one likes stepped up in basis, which is just uh, a way of sort of avoiding estate taxes, which no, I've never heard a good argument for. But the thing is, if we're talking about redistributing wealth, these are not this is not going to be a lot of large wealth distribution. The estate tax is 40% and only really applies to very rich people. And I mean, we could bring it down, but it's still a lot of people find ways around it. The only way you can do massive wealth redistribution is through a wealth tax or some sort of collectivization that's sort of either Stalinist or Maoist. How else are you going to take a lot of wealth from rich people and give it to poor people if it's not through taxation? We'll take questions from the audience when we come back. I'm John Donvan. This is Intelligence Squared U.S. I want to move on to the next part of our debate. And we're, what we're going to be doing now is actually bringing in our global audience, and I mean literally global. Uh, over the past few weeks, thousands of people around the world alerted to this debate, submitted their point of view by making an argument on the topic. They went online and they wrote to us something like, we need to distribute wealth for the sake of economic justice and so forth. We, we will use now artificial intelligence to help us understand what matters most to this global audience, what arguments and ideas that they thought were most important. And we did that by turning to IBM Watson, which uses AI to scale public opinion. It uses its ability to process natural language, to map out themes and the key points across thousands of submissions that we received. And now we get to hear it, a selection of the key points and arguments that our global audience thought were most important on this topic. Hello. Ahead of this debate, more than 3,500 arguments were submitted on the motion it's time to redistribute the wealth. The following analysis used AI models to identify the critical key points made by each side. 56% were for redistributing wealth, with 20% of submissions arguing that there is currently too much wealth inequality in the world. One argument was that income inequality has increased dramatically over the past few decades, causing excessive suffering to large populations, and that if wealth is not redistributed, far greater will suffer. Another key point for the motion was that redistribution of wealth will allow those with less opportunity to achieve success. People also think huge wealth gaps lead to social unrest and decreased security for all. The remaining 44% were against the motion, with 15% of submissions arguing that redistributing wealth would discourage some people from working hard. One argument in support of this is that redistributing the wealth discourages individual initiative, entrepreneurship, and accountability for choices. Another key point against the motion was that wealth should be earned not taken from others. People also said wealth is limited and redistribution is not a sustainable solution. One argument on this point was that redistributing wealth will reduce the pool of available resources to support the truly needy. Please visit the website to see the full results. Good luck to the human debaters. All right, and as, as we continue with the human debaters, um, I want to take it to the side arguing for the motion. We have talked to some extent about how uh, redistribution would potentially affect the behavior of the super wealthy. But one of the points that was brought out by that analysis is whether there would be a behavioral impact on those whose uh, wealth would increase as a result of a, a redistribution, that it would discourage the desire to work. You know, this is an argument that's come up also in the UBI debate. Um, let's take that to you, Yanis. You know, if, if anyone, you know, a singer, a film director, whatever, 
produces a service, a performance, and uh, the public out there are prepared to give millions in order to experience that. I'm quite happy for them to have it, as long as they pay their income tax and they are, you know, legally uh, okay. But the problem, however, comes at a different stage. Money begets money. Wealth breeds. And the more we are in the kind of secular stagnation that Larry Summers has so well articulated for years now, the more it breeds, especially with the help of the Federal Reserve and the attempts of central banks to refloat bubbles that burst a long time ago, creating therefore this kind of whirlpool of speculation which allows the financial markets to decouple from the real economy. And that is where this distinction answers your question, John. Because when it comes to the basketball player, right, if he wants to jump higher, you know, dunk better and go from 40 to 50 million, and that is his incentive, let him have it. But what happens once he has accumulated this money in a financial system that breeds a lot more money at the expense of stagnation for the many out there, who are not simply, as I said, left behind, but they are held behind by very low investment in good quality jobs, in high technology, and so on. So this is why we need seriously to tackle concentration of power, corporate power, and of wealth. This is why we need to redistribute wealth in a big bang way, like it happened under the two Roosevelt's, because it stifles innovation. And Alison, I want to—I know the argument's been made um, that if people have more money to spend, that they, that will activate the economy because uh, people who have less are more likely to spend. So, can you take that on? Is there a moral hazard in the other direction? I've never really completely bought the argument that Jeff Bezos would have only worked as hard if he only made, you know, 500 million versus, you know, several billion. But I do think there are definitely consequences. Again, I'm still not clear on how we're redistributing wealth. I guess the one thing we're all agreeing on is on higher capital income taxes. And what that certainly does do is I'm not sure it will reduce the um, incentive to work hard, but it will certainly reduce the sort of the gains from investing. So whenever you make an investment, it's not that the money just sits there idly. It's actually invested. And usually they put their money in something called a risky asset. And when you have a high capital income tax, you know, that lowers the returns from risky investment, which might mean maybe they'll still start to try to find a sort of good company. But where will the capital for that company come from? Because often it's rich people who invest in sort of new startups and are willing to take on that risk. And the returns from that investment will be smaller. And so it might maybe won't reduce the incentives to work hard, but it will reduce the incentives to invest. And that's just as important. And this one, it's um, I'm calling it question number four comes from Chris Heiberger. He asks, I think it's a he, asks, do the separate challenges of fighting poverty and fighting income inequality require significantly different approaches in prioritizing one over the other? I, I like that question because there has been a, a split here in the conversation today about whether income inequality is being, is the wrong hammer for the nail. And I want to take that to you, um, Robert. Is fighting in a income inequality the same thing as fighting poverty? John, they're very closely related, and I'll tell you why. Because over the past 50 years, the American middle class has shrunk, and it has also been under greater and greater stress because middle class wages have gone nowhere if you adjust for inflation. Now, when you have a middle class that is shrinking and under greater and greater stress, two things happen. 
Number one, it's harder for people who are poor to move up into the middle class because there are fewer places in the middle class by definition. And secondly, the middle class is less generous because the middle class has very little money and it doesn't want to pay taxes to support those people beneath them. And that's what we've seen over the last 50 years. We've seen a middle class that is becoming increasingly politicized in a negative populist way in which demagogues easily persuade many people who are under great financial stress that their enemies are the poor. That's where the overlap occurs. I'm much more worried about poverty than I am about inequality. I'm not worried about closing the gap between Jeff Bezos and me. I am worried about the people who've been left furthest behind. And I think if we focus on that, we will be more successful. I'm also worried about helping the broad middle class. But framing the debate in terms of inequality focuses you on who you want to tear down rather than who you want to build up. Larry, we have a question from Thea Lee directed to you, and it's from the president of the Economic Policy Institute. And Thea is also a past debater with us. The question goes like this. Larry, you have noted that progressives should aim to pull up the bottom and the middle rather than pull down the top as they address inequality. But hasn't the redistribution to the very top in recent decades itself been zero sum coming directly out of incomes at the bottom and the middle? And while we should address imbalances of economic power directly, shouldn't we also have a tax system that blunts the incentives for the kind of zero-sum rule rigging we've seen in this time while also raising revenue for those most able to afford it. Insofar as we can use the tax system to stop what's called rent-seeking, which is the zero-sum activity that Thea refers to, we absolutely should use the tax system for that purpose. Is it right to think that uh, developing the personal computer or developing the availability of e-commerce constituted one big zero-sum game? No, that's not my view. And the fact that that's not the American people's view has something to do with the generalized strength of the American economy. All right, thank you. I have to say that that concludes this round of our debate. We are about to hear brief closing statements from each debater in turn. All right, let's move on to round three, the resolution one more time. It's time to redistribute the wealth. Here making his closing statement in support of the motion, Robert Rice. In 2015, a year before the last election, I was out in Minnesota, Wisconsin, and Missouri, a lot of Rust Belt states, southern states, doing research uh, for a book. And I kept on asking people, middle class, working class people, many of them hourly wage workers, who do you support in the upcoming presidential race? Most of them came back to me and said something quite surprising. In the same sentence, they said, we like Bernie Sanders and we also like Donald Trump. Now, I was amazed when I first heard that because I had never heard those two men, the names, in the same sentence. How could that possibly be? But what I discovered after listening to their stories, these middle-class, working-class people in the Rust Belt and in the South, what I heard from them is, we want somebody who's going to shake things up. We want somebody who's anti-establishment. We want somebody who's going to be on our side. In other words, what we have created in this country, because of the enormous power of great wealth concentrated in the hands of a few, people in this country believe the game is rigged and they are willing to support somebody who they believe is going to topple the power structure. That is a recipe for instability. 
we have got to, and I want all of you, all of you, whether you agree that it's consequence or purpose, it doesn't matter. Vote for the resolution. It is time to redistribute the wealth. Thank you, Robert Reich. Our next speaker will be speaking against the resolution. Here to make her closing statement, Alison Schrager. Last March, Kylie Jenner, the reality show and makeup mogul, at just 21 was con declared a billionaire when she sold 51% of her cosmetics company for $600 million. Although about a year later, as people looked a little bit more closely, or the company was run by a public company that was a little bit more rigorous, it was revealed that while Ms. Jenner is indeed a very wealthy woman, she is not a billionaire. And I think this story reveals a couple things. One, we really don't know how wealthy a lot of people are. If you have an incentive to make your wealth look larger, you can. If you have an incentive to make it look smaller, like you have a tax liability, you also can do that. And Kylie Jenner also shows we might have mixed feelings about the wealthiest people. But you can't deny that the wealthiest people in America, a lot of them made their money in not a zero-sum way. They created value. They created jobs. They created products that we use every day. And economist William Nordhaus estimates that innovators only capture 2% of the economic value they create. So is there scope for more equality, for improving the safety net, for expanding the equality of opportunity? I mean, absolutely. I think these are the hallmarks of a civilized society. But there are always trade-offs in costs to redistributing resources. And wealth redistribution tends to pose the most costs and offer the fewest benefits. And these are costs we're all going to end up paying. We have much better tools to redistribute than redistributing wealth. So I urge you to vote no to the proposition. Thank you, Alison Schrager. Our next debater will be speaking to make a closing in support of the motion. Here is Yanis Varoufakis. If life under capitalism resembled the 100-meter sprint in the Olympic Games, of course it would be absurd to ask the fastest athletes you know, to slow down in support or in solidarity with the laggards. That would have been absolutely ridiculous and nobody would want to watch this race. Uh, but life is no Olympic Games. It resembles more these days uh, the Roman arena in which uh, very well-armed gladiators are facing uh, uh, victims that uh, are weaponless. Victims who are defeated not because they did not try hard enough or because they were not clever enough, but because they were unarmed, because of the asymmetry in the initial distribution of armor, of wealth. Um, you see, for a while now, I think we know that, don't we? Hard work can no longer be relied upon to lift people from poverty. This is the tragedy of the last 30 years. But let's finish off positively. And let me convey to Larry my kind of socialism, the, the kind of ideal that fires me up. You know, I, it will be a sporting parallel. Uh, but it's not, it's not going to be the, the Olympics. It's going to be the National Football League, your NFL where in the interests, remember, in the interests of competition, not fairness, eh, teams face a harsh salary cap and the best players, the best young players, are forced to sign up for the weakest of teams. So by preventing the successful team from monopolizing the best players, the NFL's constraints liberate the true spirit of competition. This is the point about, you know, socialism, which is NFL, living together with markets, in sin with harsh competition, which is what the NFL is, is, I think, a good model for the future. Thank you very much, Yanis uh, Varoufakis. And finally, making his last statement of the, of the debate. In fact, it's a closing statement against the resolution. It's time to redistribute the wealth. Here is Larry Summers. Thank you, everybody, for your patience and 
listening to us uh, squabble back and forth. There's some things we agree on and some things we don't disagree on. Bob, the Roosevelts are my heroes, too. And I want to see a much more progressive America. And obviously, you can't have a new deal today. But policies in that spirit are the right ones. I hope we'll see them uh, next January. That's not actually what I think uh, this debate is about. In some ways, we're reduced to semantic squabbling. I think Giannis showed what this debate is about very powerfully in what he just said. By signing up for the resolution that puts central focus on the redistribution aspect, he showed where he was. He thought the NFL, where their salary caps put on people, where the best players aren't allowed to go work for the best teams, where it's all centrally controlled, he held that out as a model for how our society should be organized. And that's the kind of direction you head when you make redistributing wealth the central theme of your policies, rather than creating a better society for the middle class, the central theme of your societies. And that's not where I think we should go, and I think it's pretty dangerous. And here's a way of thinking about it. I ask myself the question, would it have been better if there were more people like Andrew Carnegie, there were more people for all his flaws, like John D. Rockefeller. Would we be a better, more flourishing society with more of that or with less of that? Would we be better if we had five more people who started in America like Steve Jobs? I think we'd have been better. So yes, let's raise taxes in the right way. Yes, let's have the right regulation, but let's not make tearing down the wealthy the theme and organization of our economic policy. That's what you'll be voting for if you vote for the resolution. Thank you, Larry Summers, and thank you to all of our debaters. That concludes the final round of this Intelligence Squared debate. And I do have the results. The resolution is this. It's time to redistribute the wealth. Remember, it's the difference between the first vote and the second vote that determines our winners. So let's look how it went. On the first vote, on the resolution, it's time to redistribute the wealth. 57% of our audience watching agreed. 20% were against it. 23% were undecided. That's the first result. It's, again, it's, we're looking for the difference. So on the team arguing for the resolution, it's time to redistribute the wealth. Their first vote was 57%. Their second vote was 59%. They pulled up two percentage points, which is now the number to beat. Let's look at the other side. The team arguing against the resolution, their first vote was 20%. Their second vote was 37%. They pulled up 17 percentage points. That means that they are the winning team, uh, the team arguing against the resolution, it's time to redistribute the wealth, declared our winner. Congratulations to them, but really, congratulations to everybody for taking part in the debate, for shedding light, for teaching us, for making it interesting. We really, really appreciate it. Thank you for tuning in to this special episode of That's Debatable, presented in partnership with Bloomberg Media and sponsored by IBM. Intelligence Squared is a nonprofit generously funded by listeners like you and by the Rosencrantz Foundation. Clea Connor is our CEO. David Ariosto is our head of editorial. Amy Kraft is chief of staff and leads production. And Shay O'Mara is our director of editorial. Mary Dewey and Rob Christensen are our radio producers. Robert Rosencrantz is our chairman. And I'm your host, John Donvan.